The sponsor for this episode is Whoop. If you haven't heard of Whoop, it is a fitness tracker that provides personalized daily insight into recovery, strain, and sleep. Uh, And this has provided some really cool, actionable data. I've been using it personally. There's a ton of PGA Tour players that are using it. You've probably seen Justin Thomas, Roy McIlroy, and others wearing it. Um, And here's kind of what I take away the most is, is number one, sleep and recovery. So every morning, you can uh, look at your phone, go into the app, look at the data, and it'll tell you kind of how your recovery was. Are you ready to take on a lot of strain that day? Should you relax a little bit more and make take really better actions based on how your body is doing? And then strain, this will let you know of how hard is your body actually working. Is that workout that you're doing, is there enough strain? Is there not enough? And look at all those different things. Um, In the golf context, uh, just the other day, really interesting, I found that playing nine holes walking um, was the same amount of strain as playing 18 holes riding in a cart. There's so many good things from Whoop. You should check it out. We got 15% off your Whoop membership, code GSL, 15% off GSL. Uh, Head over to whoop.com and check that out. Definitely recommend picking one up. We're on a mission to help golfers from all over the world achieve their goals by understanding what it actually takes to play their best golf. We're talking with leading instructors, researchers, and players themselves to find what is actually working. Hey everyone, I have a really good podcast that I want to share with you. If you don't know, we run the Tour Coach Podcast with Tony Ruggiero, kind of a partner show that you can subscribe to. Tony does some great shows, and his latest one is with Sean Foley. I'm sure you've heard that name, you know, a top instructor for quite a while now. And they just had a really candid, honest conversation about coaching, professional golf, and kind of like how it's shifting and changing so rapidly. It was really, really fascinating. I felt like it was something that I think everyone should hear if you're interested in what's going on in coaching and training on the PGA Tour. So fascinating conversation. A lot of things you probably have never heard before because this is just really candid conversation. I enjoyed it. Uh, Just as a warning, there is some swearing in this. So if you have some kids, maybe throw some AirPods in. Other than that, let's dive in. Go subscribe to the Tour Coach podcast while you're at it and see what Tony's up to over there. Sitting in with me here at the Tour Coach Podcast, someone I've wanted to talk to for a good long time, had the opportunity to sit with at the U.S. Open last week. One of the great coaches and names in golf, Sean Foley. Foley, what's up, my man? Yeah, how you doing, Tom? I'm doing good. What's up, buddy? Not much. Just uh, have licked my wounds after a week of the double missed cut, and uh, now I'm back at home and uh, ready to go again. Yeah, I understand. So let me ask you this. When you have a double missed cut like that, what are your thoughts? Like, what do you, I mean, you know, cause people always want to know the inside the ropes thing as a teacher. What are your first thoughts when you go through the, you know, I've got a double miscut. I have it happened plenty of times. Uh, I, I went one for one last week, but uh, how do you handle that? You know, I just think you have to appreciate the difficulty of the game. It's like, I don't ever try to really be that emotional with how I approach what I do. I think that that's just a, you know, that's just, that's just dangerous. So it, I had times where, I had four players in the field, and for three weeks in a row, they finished in the top ten every week. And I think that what will happen is if you think that should be normal, then the rest of the time you're going to be completely discontent and frustrated rather than recognizing, I think, how special that is. So it's understanding, like, look, man, when, when, 
when, when life and work are going good, you have to be grateful and you have to enjoy it. And then when it's not, you have to know that at some point it will again. And it's just the, it's just what happens, you know. I mean, that golf course out there, it's such a big ask. I mean, if, 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 if everyone had to tee off again today for the next four days, the top ten could look totally different. And so, you know, I think it's, I think it's just realizing that, unfortunately, I think failure is just, the way we've been taught what that word is, it's just got such a negative connotation. It's neuroscientists say that failure is actually feedback. So it kind of lets you look a little bit, okay, at what happened. But then I think that doing too much of that sometimes leads us to speculating. I mean, well, he had a perfect drive tone on number 13, and it went 340 and ended up six inches in the rough, and you had to play out sideways. Right. It happens. And, and it, you know, it, and, and that was, to me, obviously like you walked around and watched a bunch of golf and I saw plenty of shots that were really good shots uh in particular you, you know where you, Lucas on Saturday hits drive down nine or on Sunday barely runs through the rough runs right up against the edge of the cut line and he's got no shot to get to the green I mean you're, you're talking a matter of inches and it's not like he hit a bad golf shot to get there it's just no you know, no 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 no, a couple, couple, a couple of inches is then an eight iron to a front right pin. He makes eagle, and the day's different. Like it's that's. I think that's what players don't pay attention enough to is just the sheer probability. Like you know, I've had players when they struggle with their putting, they'll say like, "I miss everything from eight feet," and it's like, well, I mean, not really, but the average on tour from eight feet is like fifty percent. So if you think you should make eight out of ten, you're always going to think something's wrong with you. Right. Right. Now, as a coach with a player, so when you, you know, everybody thinks you're geniuses when the guy's playing great, but when a guy gets, you know, he's playing good, and you mentioned, uh, you know, we were talking about different scenarios and guys where you feel like maybe they're, you're not on the right track. How do you handle that as a coach where maybe you feel, you know, uh, you know, maybe where you feel like the player regressing may not always be the right word, but like you're not on the right track. How do you handle that, or what is your thought process when you feel like maybe with a player, like, man, I, I just don't know if I don't know if we're going in the right direction. What do you do? Well, I, I think it, it always takes like deep introspection, right? So I did this post on Instagram yesterday. I, I did this post on Instagram yesterday, just talking about kind of my feelings on the world and what's been going right. on. Very and good post. So, thank you. I got a lot of comments on it, and this one guy commented, and I don't I don't know who he is, but he said. <laughs> Makes sense on why you always came in the pro shop to say hello to the staff at the PGA tournament at our place. Only top 100 teacher to do so. Wow. And I'm like, well, if you have a conflated idea of who you are, look, well, I, don't, I don't know who you charge, but I charge my guys 5% of what they earn on the course. So from just a straight mathematical probable business model, I'm 5% of their success and I'm 5% of their failure. Now, to be a great coach, that's you have to feel like you're going to give them everything you have. Right. But the idea is like the golf swing is very, very complex. The human brain is very, very complex. Sometimes it's done and it may, they make it look easy, but most of the time it's just really not the case, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, you, you know, you have to look at, you got to be careful, you know, when you have a player in 2020, but you had it like really money in 2016. Well, a lot has changed in that person's brain and body by that point. So the old, like, this is what we did when we did it the best, that's dangerous too, right? Mm -hmm. But normally when the player was playing his best, there was more of a shot shape. Yes. So I remember before you started working with Lucas, one day he'd asked me at the LA Open if I could take a look. 
And I said, you know, I, I don't have much time, but I have two hours this afternoon. And it gave me an opportunity to see Lucas, who I really enjoy, and Don Cooper, who I absolutely love. <laughs> and Lucas was trying to hit a fade. And I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I just feel like I got too dry. And I'm like, nah. I said, look, dude, put a stick out in front of you, start it right at that, and take a bigger divot. And that was all I said. So mm-hmm. to me, when I think about Lucas, I think of the starting right draw that doesn't often cross the target line. Correct. If Lucas is literally trying to think that the key is to fade the ball moving forward, man, that's just so against what he does. That right. it can't Yeah. Does he need to know how to fade it? Of course he can fade it, but if he just set up and he had to hit it in the fairway and on the green, then he would hit that shot. The the, the shot that comes easier to him. So I think it's more it's more like that. So with a player like Danny Willett, he became the number one amateur in the world with a pretty sizable high sling draw. Yep. And then he won the Masters with a slight fade. But what happened over time is the cure of the overdraw became a cancer to where it got to where the only shot he could hit was a bull cut. Okay. And I don't know if it goes back to like a Mac O'Grady fascination that a lot of people have and how the swing looks, but I just cannot think of that many great players who hit a bull cut. I can't. Like, no. I can't. Think about it. Mm-mm. So I, I think the desire to get rid of a hook – a lot of guys went to try and play a cut, but they didn't necessarily do it the right way. It's like, I think it's easier to hit less of a hook than it is to teach a hooker how to cut it. Agree. Agree. And, you know, when I started working with Lucas, I had the similar thought, I think, that you did. Like, the first thing he said was, I want to get back to hooking it. And so, to me, it was just wasn't going back trying to make do what he used to do, but was to set him up and to just get him to hit hooks yeah. again and then let him yeah. figure out how to hook it less. Right. Hey, look, look, that, I mean, you know, the thing about coaching, obviously it's how we make our living. It's something we're passionate about. We enjoy the people that we work with. We'd like to see them do well and all that. But, like, how did Ben Hogan and Lee Trevino get to that point? So I think that I, as I've got older, I feel like my role in helping a player has diminished. It's more of like creating the understanding and the environment so that they can go out on their own and – you know, when a player looks at you and says, you know, what do you think I should feel? It's like, oh, man, like, well, how could I ever answer that? So, you know, it's, it's, it's like this afternoon I'm, I'm, I'm working with Hunter Mahan, and I worked with Hunter for, from 2008 for a long time. And, you know, it, it, relationships are hard, right? Like, even relationships with, like, our children or our wives or our parents aren't guaranteed. You know what I mean? So, you know, when we, when we stopped, we just weren't getting it done. Like, we weren't getting it done. But... You know, I really know what he needs to do to get it done, but that that's just a piece of the puzzle, the desire, the discipline, the everything. I mean, when, when Hunter was on top of the world and we top 10, we felt like every single week, you know, he, he was just engaged and he didn't have four kids. So, you know, life changes in good ways, but it also causes other aspects. So there's, there's more to it than just, you know, it's amazing to watch Instagram. If, if you went on the range at a PGA Tour event, and you did slow motion videos of the guys in the top 125, they would hardly get any likes. Like people would say they're too steep coming down. They stand up too fast. They're too flippy. <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're, we're in a world now of like of this swing where everyone hits a ball with both of their arms straight all the way through it and over rotate their torso and open up too much. And it's just fascinating to me. It's like, I get it. Yeah. The theory is correct, but shrub comes to you. 
I wanted to talk to you about a couple of things. I, this, this is always fascinating to me, and I enjoy when I get to corner you in a, you know, somewhere at a tour event. And so going back to, like, Hunter, because I've had this happen a couple of times, is it harder when they leave and then they come back, or do you find it easier when they leave and come back, or is it different each time? You know, because, you know, I've had it happen with Smiley a few times, leave and then come back, and you and I talked about that a little bit. And, you know, I had it, uh, you know, talk to Bobby White all the way up, and then he left and came back. Just curious your thoughts, your opinions, and what you've learned over the years when players leave and come back. So I think inevitably, most of the time when you've done a good job and you've had a good relationship and they leave, at some point they kind of do always seem to find their way back at a certain point. Yeah, yeah. I, look, you, you stopped working for a reason in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. So I haven't seen too many people like get divorced and get married again and then it'd be all right. Like it's so that, you know, there's a reason. Now I have seen people get divorced and then still go together to Italy with their family and have a great time because they're still very friendly. So right. I've seen that, but yeah, I mean, look, my, you know, the way that my dad raised me and everything like that, it, it was, you know, was do your best in life not to take things personally and understand that, you know, how people see you is more a function of how they see themselves than how you actually are. So I don't think I've ever, you know, I mean, gosh, when Tiger, when, when Tiger fired me, I sat in airports for two weeks and, and looked at ESPN and saw my name on the ticker. I mean, that was, you know, that was, that was a little bit, that was a little bit different, but at the same point, it's like, look, man, like from the first day you get hired in anything, you're one day closer to getting fired. And that's, but that's okay. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of golfers out there. Hopefully the time that you had was successful. You, it was mutually beneficial. But then when it's not working anymore, to stick around, that's when it gets kind of nasty. So it's always about class, man. I mean, as much as this is a business, you can't have that much love for those guys and then all of a sudden one day just go, you know, this is bullshit, forget them. It's, I just, I've never felt like that about anything. And so, yeah, it's, it's different. But can it be successful again? I'm sure that it can, but... Look, when these guys are – Bryson DeChambeau has had a great team of people around him, but Bryson DeChambeau, man, is really the captain in a big way of that team. He's pushing all those people around him to get answers. So where Bryson's at is attributed to the people that helped him along the way, but no one sat there and did all those reps in the gym, and no one sat there and hit those millions of golf balls. I mean, the glory has to go – I think it was Roosevelt, right? The, or, the glory has to go to the man in the arena. Right. So it, it's all going to come down to, and so when you look at a lot of the top players in the world right now, they have girlfriends or they don't, but they don't have kids. Yep. And, you know, with the guys in the last generation, because of obviously Tiger Woods and what happened to purses and things like that, I mean, if you're sitting there looking at $35 million in the bank <laughs> and kids at home and you know how much that's important to you and that feels almost better than what you do on the golf course, you can get stuck. So I think at that point when have set, you know, what their objective is in the right way. Because if they're still pushing for the finishes that they had but they're not putting the same amount of time in, I mean hats off to Bryson DeChambeau. I mean I've watched for four or five years. I've got to know him quite well. And I've just watched him be the butt end of all jokes. And, you know, to me, if someone is doing something in a completely different way than everyone else, and everyone is kind of taking the piss out of them. That's the guy you invest a hundred grand in. So uh, for me, it was—I thought it was really cool to see him kind of accomplish uh, what he did, because people just need to realize this has been a five-year plan in his mind. Mm-hmm. 
that is all-encompassing, like almost every waking hour of the day. Well, how long can you keep? How long can you keep that up for? Right, that's the question. I think you know is, and and again, I think that with the money the way it is right now, I don't know that. I mean, do you think that many of these younger guys are wired to where they want to go do it for 40 years at that pace or try to do it? I mean, I don't think that they need to anymore with the money that's out there. You can go have a good five, eight-year run and make more than you'll ever need in your life. I think it's going to get – I think it's going to be more like other sports because I think what we're going to see, there's going to be a lot more Cameron Champs. You know, we get some of these amateurs who come into the field at, like, the U.S. Open, and they're the only ones who have the ball speed that he has. And yeah. And then, look, when you're doing that, there's going to be, you know, you're applying more force and torque. There's more velocity. The body's going through more dynamic ranges of motion. And, look, so there's not any world-class sprinters who don't pull their hamstring. It's not possible. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to see careers that will look more, not so much like the NFL, but more like the NBA, 10 10 to 12 years. And then some guys, obviously, golf is different, right? Like, my mom and dad, they are 80 and 76, and they come down from Canada from November 1st to April 1st, and they live in Reunion, and they play nine holes every day. My dad actually at 80 just started breaking eight. <laughs> so golf, golf's a little different than that because it's kind of this spiritual quest that we have as well. And it's like it's impossible to ever get it right. I just think in those other sports, a lot of those other guys might have continued to play, but just the fact that they've been jumping and landing on their knees for 15 years, they're kind of done. Yeah, agree. And I just, I don't think they're going to need from a money perspective. It's not, you know, it's changed so much that they're, like you said, you're talking about, you got 25 million in the bank and you've got kids and most of these guys all have other interests, whether it's sports or hunting or fishing or doing different things, they've got the money and the ability to do it. And why wouldn't they go do it? If, especially if they're not, body isn't allowing them to be competitive anymore. And, and look, look, I, I'm grateful to have the job that I have. I'm grateful to work with the guys that I work with. Look, man, post-COVID, this shit's not been a lot of fun, right? Right. And when it was a certain way for 13 and a half years, and now it's completely different, I can adapt to it, but it's different for everybody. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think I've had Uber Eats more in the last four months than I've had in my whole life. I don't even know if I, I – I actually think I had to ask my 12-year-old how to order from the hotel room. Yeah. So it's, you know, that, it's going to be that way for a lot of guys. And, look, the idea of what it used to be, we will never see that time again. It's not ever going to happen again, ever. So, yeah. you know, it kind of comes along that, that type of idea. I mean, we're going to have a bunch of players who come from a generation of kids who have grown up on a phone. They've been entitled uh, quite a bit more than, say, Hogan's generation. And they're going to be sitting in their hotel room for at least the next year and a half. So yeah. it's, it's, very, it's, it's, it's just fascinating. So I honestly think that that is far more difficult on the players who travel with their families than the ones who don't even have one. Yeah, I would agree. Because these, these college kids did what? They came from college where they're playing video games or being on their social media feed all night. And right mm-hmm. to the tour and did the same thing. Just think over the years, right? Like, I had my Pacifica night on Tuesday at Torrey Pines. I had uh, uh, certain Tex-Mex restaurants in Texas. Like, none of that, that was kind of, to me, that was kind of the outlet to be around, like, cool people that are doing the same thing that I am. That made traveling, like, like to where I could handle it. But now it's mm-hmm. like, wow, it's just totally different. So, yeah, I, I look, I just think that, I think a lot of guys who haven't played well after the quarantine 
don't really understand that, like, deep within we're not in the right place with all this stuff yet. And there's a lot of clutter and confusion on, like, what's the world going to be like? What's going on right now? All this negativity and tension and all these things. It's always been there in the world, but it's not been so conflated. We all had four months to sit at home and either believe more in what we believe or challenge that. And I just think it's a lot easier for people just to keep believing what they believe. And now you've got this device that sends you already things, everything you already agree with. So it's like, it's very interesting to me. Yeah, I, I, it's, there's so much negativity now. I don't know, I, you know, or it just seems like there's more access to it, you know, That's uh, I, because it's I, in front of us all day, every day. Yeah, and then, you know, with the breakdown in leadership, and when I say leadership, I'm not pointing my fingers at anybody, right. okay? If you ask me, if someone's a leader of a country, and I don't care what party they're about, if you don't think a lot of that's based on narcissism and ego, then you've never studied politics. And mm -hmm. that's on, it doesn't matter. Go all the way back to both sides. There's been very few people who have just really stood up and on either side and done great things. So, I mean, just the, you know, just the fact that, that that's the way... I think what happens now is the devices, negativity has been kind of more allowed, a lack of, you know, it's, it's been allowed. So a lot of people who are kind of keeping it under their, keeping it under their, look, Tony, it'd be very easy for me to sit on Twitter and start ripping on you. And it would probably be a hell of a lot harder for me to be at your golf academy doing it to your face. No question. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, it's like a passive-aggressive thing, where to me, if you have something to say to somebody, you know, you should, I mean, how about on the PGA Tour when guys get their managers to call their coach or their therapist and tell them they're not working with them anymore? When I see stuff like that and I see a guy break down every weekend, is it due to mental or is it due to virtue aspects like integrity and character? I mean, when, when Justin Rose and I split up, he flew to Orlando and we met and we talked face-to-face. -face. I mean, that's, that's how you do that. Correct. So that, that, you know, when you watch him play, whether he's playing great or he's not, man, he plays with so much integrity. I mean, he's going to try and get every single shot out of that score. Right. But if you can't call someone who's helped you for, you know, eight years to, to tell you that, I don't know how you're going to handle that fire on the back nine. I just don't get it. I don't think you will. Do you think players coming out now have less of those qualities of virtue just by – the way everything is, or you, you no, no, I, I wouldn't say. I, you know what? I mean, I've literally fallen in love with Morikawa and Hovland and Matt Wolf. I mean, these guys are all different, but they're all great. Yeah. You know, Matt Wolf yelled at himself on Wednesday when we we're out practicing. Uh, Cameron played with him or Tuesday, and he he kind of yelled at himself like Matthew, do not let this place bully you. And I thought that was just so gold. Mm-hmm. He was like, don't let it bully you. Like, you're going to, you're obviously going to be in bad positions, but don't go there because you're not, because you're steering it. And then he was chipping and he came up on the green and he said to me, why am I spending so much time hitting terrible chips from there when in the turn I'm just going to putt? He's like, what am I even doing out here? It was really funny. And Colin Morikawa, <laughs> man, I could stand behind him and watch him hit balls all day. All day. His coach, Rick, is a class act and Colin is a primo mover. Victor Hovland, I find to be fascinating. So, yeah, I don't see that. I don't see that in those guys. But I think, like, my son who's 12 mm -hmm. ever known, like, what the current thing is. That that could be different. And, we, you know, we do our best. And it's really crazy, Tony. Like, sometimes as a parent, you know, you get busy. You have a lot of things to do. Those things become cheap babysitters. It allows you to accomplish what you need to. They seem to be happy. And then your kid screws up at school, and you take it away from them. And two weeks later, you're like, oh, I've got my son back.
Yes. He actually sits with me on the couch and we talk about life. And so, yeah, you know, are, are these things also good? Yeah, of course they're good. You know, you can be more organized. You can do more in a shorter time. But we're crazy if we don't think that the people who built it, who've become the richest people of all time, didn't manufacture it in a way that we would come completely addicted to it. And people are different. Some people, some people get addicted to things faster than other people. And I'd say it's a better addiction than crack cocaine, but to the same extent, it's going to slow you down. You know what I mean? Oh, no question. Well, you touched on it. One of the things I was going to ask you about is one of the things that frustrates, you know, I know we got to move into this century and it's part of our existence as teachers, but the ability of people on social media to hide behind keyboards and take shots at, at players and coaches when they've never coached anybody good themselves or never been in that arena drives me crazy. And that's one of my pet peeves. You know, I it just, because like if, if I hear somebody take, look, if I hear somebody take a shot, I'm just saying you, you and whoever, like I understand what it's like being out there and that oftentimes, you know, you don't understand all the dynamics going on. Same thing. If, if Lucas plays bad, somebody takes a shot at me, you understand all the dynamics but the, but some of the things that these people will say and attack teachers and credibility and players drives me crazy. Yeah, I, once again, dude, like, it shouldn't, to me, if I was your therapist, and, <laughs> right, if, 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 I, if, 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 we're, if we're sending bogeys, if we're sending bogeys in Jacksonville. Which we will. Having a couple, okay. Having a, yeah, having a couple beers. I mean, look, think about it. Like, one time we were walking down the fairway, and look, no one's been a bigger punching bag than me. The fact is that I didn't start on social media until four months ago, so you couldn't really see it. But I had some things sent to me that people were kind of following and some crazy stuff, right? And it was all, right. look, it was all, it all was by someone who didn't put their picture, someone who didn't use their name, mm -hmm. and then someone who never, ever met me, like never met me. So yeah. basically at that point, so here's what I think. One day we're at the U.S. Open, and I'm walking down the 11th hole, or, sorry, the 9th hole of Congressional with Justin Rose and Hunter Mahan, and they are playing Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson. So we used to have, like, this Foley-Harmon match once in a while. And we're going down the fairway, we're going down nine, and some guy yells, hey, Foley, you're, you're fucking the game up. Like, stop ruining Tiger Woods. And Rosie lost it. And he was going, he, Rosie was going straight to the ropes. And so I, I just said, like, Justin, turn around. I said, like, come back, dude. And, and whatever, he comes back. And he says, uh, mate, you got to stand up for yourself. And I'm like, why? Like, why do I need to stand up for myself? He's like, well, dude, that's not true what he said. And, and I said, well, what's, like, what is truth? Like, look, I said, here's the deal, Rosie. I'm sitting here. So one, two, 2011. Five years ago, I was waiting tables at an Outback Steakhouse, okay? Now, I'm at Congressional with Justin Rose and Hunter Mahan. I'm standing next to one of my heroes, Butch Harmon. I'm with Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson. And that guy paid, that guy paid $120 for a ticket. He looked kind of like he's roughly around 45 or 50. So can you imagine that he came here today to stand outside the ropes and yell something like that at someone. I said, can you ever imagine yourself doing that? And he's like, no. And I said, so if I didn't feel good about myself and then saw 
Sean Foley walking down the fairway with that forever smile telling a story to Butch Harmon, looking like he's totally enjoying his life, the only way that I would be able to make myself feel better is to make him feel bad. Yeah. And I'm not and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give that to that guy. So look, I'm not ever making a comparison, but what they said about Newton and Einstein and Dr. King and I mean the people who really shaped the earth weren't really appreciated till they were dead, mate. Yeah. So it's Fair like point. you know you you know what it's like. I was ruining golf. I mean Tiger Woods, yeah, I was trying to do my best, but I, I never can ever do. I never had a player had four knee surgeries and, and literally went through a divorce and who knows all the stuff that went on. So it's like I'm doing my best. I, I always said to everyone, like, look, if you think it's that easy, then come on. Like, come on out here. Come, come out here. So, yeah, could the backswing be a little bit better? Sure. Of, of course it could be a little bit better. Is there too much of this or too much of that? Sure. Well, what makes you think I'm telling them to do that anyways? <laughs> what, you think you think I want to see the shaft lean 17 inches forward? You think I want to see someone drop a half a foot in transition? Of course not. I never told anyone to do that in my life. So, you know, that's the, that's the whole idea. But I think if you take a deeper look within, like whenever I really had an issue with someone, but that's more like in high school when I was like 14 and 15, all the guys that I talked shit to are the ones that I was jealous of. So it's right. like, you know, to me, Jealousy and envy, it's kind of like, uh, how, how would I say this? I remember reading this somewhere. It said, oh, like the jealousy and the envy or kind of the disdain and hatred towards someone, in a way, is just a confused admiration button. Interesting. That's just what I, that makes sense to me. Like, that's not me protecting myself. Look. No one is a bigger critic of me than me. No one, I'm the one who makes myself wake up at three in the morning because I think I'm doing a shit job. It happens at least twice a week. I think that it's absolutely necessary that when you're helping people try to achieve their dreams, that you have some insecurity. You must. You must. Mm -hmm. So I create these things around me where I have physiologists and chiropractors who can assess a player. And I have Mark Bull that will run the 3D and tell me what he sees from from his world. So we're, we have all these checks and balances in place so that we don't screw someone up with our unconscious bias of wanting everyone to look like Ben Hogan, which I love. I, why wouldn't you? Yeah. But how many people can actually do that? Like how many people can be Simone Bales? So we watch her like do a flip and rotate through the air and say, see where she puts her arms? Man, she's maybe one of the greatest athletes to ever live who found the exact sport that she should be in. Mm-hmm. That's that. So you can't, you can't. All a ton of those girls can do a single flip with one spin. She can do two and she can do two and three. It. You can't teach them that. They can't do that. So, you know that. To me, when you see that special level of like a Ben Hogan, or a DJ, or, or a Tiger Woods, and one of these players. I mean, man, that's just a lot of them. They're making everybody look great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's interesting, and I, I, I like what you because, you know, I, one of the things that I realized when I first started coming out on tour, I was, you know, I felt real out of place, and I, I thought I was the only one that worried every day that I was going to screw somebody up and was insecure, and then the more I've had the opportunity to get to know and become friends with and talk with people like you, you realize that most everybody that's out there that's helping those guys or girls 
has those feelings, and then it's okay to feel that way. But like for me, oh, when I first started going, when I first started going out, I was like, man, I was like, shit, like I'm the only like, golly, I'm never gonna be any good at this because every day I'm stressed and worried that I'm fucking somebody up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think look, we we, we know we know uh, basically we know enough of the principles, uh, the physics and the kinetics behind the golf swing. All these swings that look really different are still really powered the same. People, you know, people say, well, just, you know, they'll put a picture up of like, they'll put a picture up of like Jim Furyk and Dustin Johnson and Rory and whoever else at the top of their backswing and say, uh, proves you can play from anywhere. But if you really know what you're measuring, you're going to see a lot of the same things. So, yeah, the look is different. Like, the look is different, but it's like a, a, if you have a Ford Fusion that has a Ferrari engine, you have a Ferrari. It's not a Ford. So, you know, if you have a Ferrari with a Ford engine, you have a Ford. So it might look like a Ferrari, but it is not. So I think that's really important is, is, to, is to understand that, for one. And then, two, I've done a good job of having the opportunity to work with loads of players, but kind of was like, you know what? I think you'd be really good with Mark Blackburn. I think you'd be really good with Scott Hamilton. I have a friend named Drew Streckel. I think he could really help you. And so – I think one of the things I'll realize at like the at the end of my career at the end of my career is I help people build their successful stables. That 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 feels that feels amazing, dude, to be able to like the idea of the guy saying like and I get this all the time, you know, makes sense on why you came in the pro shop all those years and introduce yourself to everyone and during rain delays talk to us. And I'm like, I was you, man, I am you. Mm-hmm. Like that's astounding to me. But then the funny thing is that I also get the, wow, you're not as, as arrogant and as full as yourself as I thought you were. I mean, that's my favorite. And then I just tell people, like, have you ever met me before? No. Can I give you some advice? Yes. For the rest of your life, never, ever make a comment about someone that you haven't met. Right? I mean, even my 12-year-old son, he's at the point, we're in the grocery store the other day, and the guy at the counter was being like a supreme prick to the lady behind the counter. And it was getting a little terse, and I was about to say something. And then he kind of just rattled off, and, and I, I just explained to the lady, look, that wasn't about you. That's just about him and whatever. And she was like, yeah, I understand. And Quinn goes to me. We're walking the car. He goes, man, Dad, you got to wonder what that guy's going through his life to act like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> man, if we could if, – if like, I know in first grade they learn math and they learn all that, but if people could understand, like, if we could be teaching kids, like, little philosophical lessons like – People don't see you for who you are. They see you for who they think you are. So guess what? If you've been taught that someone from Afghanistan is going to put a bomb on his back and walk into your school, then when you meet someone from Afghanistan, I mean, you're of course, you're going, be, you're going to be very scared. But yeah, does that happen there? Yeah, of course it does. But most people, they haven't had a war for a thousand years because people want that. So yeah. that, that's just, that's the whole thing is just realize those people have that, that unconscious bias that they don't even know. Like, they don't even know they have it. That's the danger of it. So, you know, I mean, obviously, this is not a talk for golf, but it is a talk for golf. It's, it, this, is, this is about coaching. And to me, you know, we're, we're, we're coaching. Look at Cameron Champ. Cam Champ is this just out-of-this-world talent. Well, that's a great thing, but it's got a curse, too, because the comment's always, well, why is he not performing better? And it's like, well, you know, hitting the ball really far every time is a massive advantage, but – Give Cameron two or three more years of working on more of the artistry and the softer stuff, and he's going to – I don't know how he'll shoot over 68 any day, but when you are – 
gifted with the ability to hit it harder than anyone with no spin, then learning to hit it as soft as the best with a ton of spin is probably going to take some work. The thing I love about Cameron and that you we talked about this is not only how far he hits it, but how effortless he makes it. You know, it doesn't look like he's trying to not take anything away from Bryson, but when Bryson hits the tee ball, to me, it looks like he's trying to hit it hard. You know, when Cameron hits a drive, it doesn't look like that to me. Oh, yeah. And that, I mean, that's just Nolan Ryan, right? I mean, you're looking at the peak of athleticism right there. Now, give him a 46-inch drive. Remember, a lot of the numbers you see with him is with a driver that's two inches shorter than normal. So when he just goes to a standard driver, I mean, his ball speed's like 198. And if he, if, if he really said, okay, I'm going to make my stance, I mean, he almost stands with his feet together. So mm-hmm. if I'm going to make my stance a little bit wider, I'm going to get a little more force in that direction, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm going to lengthen my backswing, I'm going to increase the hand path a little bit, which will allow me more time to put impulse into the shaft. I mean, he could potentially be 210 ball speed. But it's, yeah, no, it, it is crazy because, you know, he's a solid-looking athlete, but he's mm-hmm. not like 6'5", 230, right? Right. But the thing is, it's like that's the case. But if you were to put, like, something to detect force in the grip and then have him on force plates and then have him on 3D – you would see incredible peaks in certain places that you wouldn't see anywhere. So, yeah, it's powerless effort, but power is nothing but effort, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it's nothing but effort. But if you have a body that can kind of stay in those angles because you're really unlimited in rotation, then you're able to make it look, you know, like Rory going at it looks amazing too, right? Right. Well, that, I mean, you're born with the ability to do that. That is, you can do yoga, you can do Pilates, you can train with Colby Wayne and Craig Davies and all the best in the world, and they'll improve you. But I think my vert is about 20 inches. If I worked on it for three years, I could probably get it to 27. So that's the whole thing. But, you know, you look at Cameron and you think, okay, Cameron's a different kid, right? He's uh, one of the very few guys on tour who I hate this word, but I just use the word because people use it, mixed race. But, you know, growing up in America with a black father and a white mother and being mixed race and feeling like you're stuck in the middle of these two arguments, I mean, that can't be easy. So I always just wonder, you know, when people don't have confidence in themselves or they doubt their ability, I mean, how much of that is learned by the time we're 11? And it's like our whole life we have to strip all that shit off to see the beauty that's within. So, you know, would I bring that up and talk to him about it? A hundred percent. Would I try to put him around other people who been through that same thing and they're a little older and they've kind of understood a way to see it a hundred percent because question well look if, if, if as human beings if we don't feel like we're enough then how are we ever going to achieve mm-hmm. so it's amazing you know because as men we're not you know be tough take it like a man what does take it like a man what does that mean so take it like a man means you're not going to cry when you should cry and you're not going to show vulnerability when you should so you're going to pretend to be strong you're going to hold it all in and your life can become shit because of it, because all the stuff you need to deal with, you're not facing. So it mm-hmm. becomes medication, it becomes booze, becomes drugs, becomes relationships, becomes like it's it's just such a they're not playing good. Like they might literally cry on the range. And I look at guys all the time and wonder how many of them that would help. <laughs> <laughs> the more just than, a, just a lot a, of them. A just lot. Just a of nice them. big yeah, man. It's it, it, it's so funny. Like. How many guys on tour have to, you know, how many human beings have to get their back adjusted and get their neck fixed? And, yeah, of course, the golf swing is a taxing motion. But, I mean, dude, if you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders all day, it's probably not going to make your neck and your back feel very good. 
So I, I think that that's a, Tiger Woods, man. He played with an incredible freedom, and you know, even if you just watch Tiger, you know, when he gets to the course, everything he does is in slow motion. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, you watch him walk on the range; everything is in slow motion. You watch him warm up; everything is in slow motion. Like he's understood physiologically the place that he needs to get himself to compete, and I think it looks much more like he's focusing on getting into a place where he's relaxed, where he's going to have access to his skills subconsciously rather than being looking tense and terse. If you watch Tiger from 100 yards up when he's warming up, you wouldn't know if he's going to go shoot 7 under or 7 over because he always looks the same. But, man, you can stand on the putting green and look. I've never done it, but send bets back to Europe of who's going to play. I mean, how could you advertise the people you're competing with that you have no idea what you're doing right now? Mm-hmm. It's 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 astonishing to me. Like it's just, it's amazing. Too. I remember one year I was at the Ryder Cup, and I won't name names, but I was I was walking across <laughs> the I was walking across the fairway to go and see Tiger or Rosie or Hunter. I can't remember which one it was. And the one team was playing behind the other team, and there's two guys on the one team sitting up there just advertising all the way to the tee box that they did not have what it takes that week. It was just I said, man, that's unbelievable. Right. Um, Why would you want to so, advertise? Why would you want everybody to know? <laughs> I think that's the problem. That, that's the unconscious part. There's no way. Like, I've done this a lot in the past. I've filmed guys on the course when they're playing well and then when they're playing bad. And I've never had one who watched it when they were playing bad and they weren't embarrassed. And then they looked at me almost without a sense of hope saying, I don't even know I'm doing that. Yeah. So, to me, the best players of all time in every sport had a real awareness a real awareness, like amazing watching Jordan play in that docu-series on Jordan's life, right? Right, that was fantastic. Man, he hardly ever to never bitched at the ref like after a bad call. Like he just moved on to the next play. You don't um, see that now in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, it's it, yeah, and, and the thing is back then, like sometimes it was an obvious foul because like you were on the ground bleeding. I mean, those guys were banging each other, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Knocking hell out of each other. So that you know, that's like basketball's been a li- little bit more soccer-like. Like I like when they do it in slow motion, and you see the guy's not even—he's not even been touched, and he's falling backwards. So, to me, I think that's just a really big part of his ability to be such a champion. Was he just moved on so elegantly from moment to moment to moment and to moment, and knew that basically his career would be an amalgamation of thirty billion moments, rather than you know, it's it's gonna look, it's gonna be good and it's gonna be bad, and if, if we if we knew the answer we'd be charging a million dollars a lesson and we don't. And, no. and and we can only, we can only utilize knowledge and data and information to help us. But we still have to remember that a lot of the greatest wedge players and greatest players in the world, a lot of them had their local pro that was in their junior program and coached them all the way through college. And, you know, it's, uh, I think that, you know, like a, a guy like Mike shy, who basically, built this whole scenario with, with Brighton on single length and to get the, the grip in position where all the joints are locked in the end range of motion and that would be the most stable way to do it and, and all that and this and that. I kind of feel like the golf community have just haven't given him any credit at all because he took the brunt of how this crazy, how this crazy swing was the, 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 the whole time. So, I mean, that guy knows Bryson's swing inside out. Bryson's yes. put on dis- Bryson's put on some distance, but a lot of that's been more sensationalized. I remember watching him hit off the range at Augusta as an amateur, 
he dropped his hands, made his stance wider, and made a longer backswing. Yeah. I remember watching him at the Walker Cup at Lytham, St. Anne's. With, uh, I was over there with Robbie Shelton. And they were gonna they were play the practice round together. And whenever he wanted, he just he had that what he I forget what he called it, but it was when he wanted to hit the big drive, he swung different than what he would normally do, which looks to me strikingly similar to what he's trying to swing like now. Yeah, no, no, of course. So I I, I think really how big and how big how big and strong he got. I mean, I think we saw that out of the rough more than anything because mm-hmm. the fact is is there's people who aren't nearly as strong as him who have a higher ball speed. So, it, you know what I mean? That's of, of course, he can put more force into the grip. He's heavier. So just due to overall mass and friction, he'll, have, he'll be able to create more torque without slipping. But that's just, dude, ground reaction forces are the icing on what is already a good take. Okay? That is yeah. not the key to this game at all. There's no way. It, it, it just, what is the key to the game? What do you think is the key to the game? Well, obviously, what's connected to the grip? You know, I, I hear young instructors now talk shit about Bob Toski and Jim Flick because they were like, yeah, just, you know, swing the hands and arms and the body will react. And I'm like, oh, my God, you you cannot talk about them like that. You have no idea. Bob Toski was 70 years of age, still hitting at 300 yards, swinging his arms. Of course, he was using the ground and using the slings in the body. But mm-hmm. when we're born as children, the first things we use is our hands and our eyes for everything. So a second baseman in the World Series, the ball gets hit left of him, he goes right, and then he springs left, and he jumps and he catches it. He was never thinking of loading, and and he was never thinking about creating horizontal and vertical force. He was thinking about catching it, and because he's an athlete, he did the other. Mm -hmm. So no one's thinking dive catch. They're thinking catch. So, (laughs) you know, that's that's just a big part. Yeah, I've had a swing catalyst for a long time. I love it. It's a great company. It's another excellent tool to use. But most players I would put on a swing catalyst trying to get them to improve something else, I'm sure they can't hit a short-sided bunker shot out of wet sand. I know that they probably, probably can't. That's probably going to help us potentially earn more money than increasing a peak in a force at a point in a swing. Like, yeah. there's so many. Like, they might struggle chipping uphill into the grain. I haven't met very few who don't. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, when we're coaching, bud, there's so many opportunities if we're charging 5%. There's benefits to revenue in so many places that don't have to be P1, P2, P5, P9, P10. And, look, I've done all of that. I, when I first came on tour, I had a little different attitude than you. When I first came on tour, I couldn't believe they let anyone else out there. I was like, why are they standing on my range? This is crazy to me. <laughs> Every single bad shot that was hit was only due to technique, and that was only the answer. And you know what? When I believed that, then everything seemed to match that belief. Then things started to happen, and it had to challenge my belief, like, but maybe it's a little deeper than what you think it is. Well, it's got like 10 times, it's got 10 times deeper since then. What was it that, <laughs> so, what was it that challenged your belief on that? Curious. Well, I think I was just very lucky when I started out there that Sean O'Hare, uh, Stephen Ames, Sean O'Hare, and Hunter Mahan, and Justin Rose could kind of benefit from the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I felt that they didn't move their lower bodies enough in their backswings. Basically, if I got them to pivot more like Hogan and Sneed, that would be helpful for them. Now, that's still very much the case to this day. I mean, they talk about how Sneed might have been the best athlete to ever play golf. Well, like, who unweighted and turned more and allowed more time than he did? I mean, he probably could have kept his lower body still 
and not even moved it and still been awesome. Yeah. But kind of the aspect of being centered, going more from like my Morad, more the Mac ideas of the head not moving, that benefited all of them. But I felt like when I started with Tiger that I, I wasn't, had enough knowledge, but I was too caught in my preference. And quite honestly, I just basically overtaught him. It, it wasn't necessary. It, it, like, I think back to it now, and of course, it's a lot easier to look back at something and go, wow, I could have done this and that. But no question. Like, what, what was I doing even speaking to the guy? Like, I mean, <laughs> it's Tiger Woods, dude. Like, if he, you know, Tiger Woods wants to hit some draws and some fades. I've never met anyone who can aim properly all the time on their own. I've never met anyone who kind of keeps a consistent ball position all the time on their own. You know, when I started with Danny Willett, man, that was like full surgery, dude. We needed to go, we needed to go as big as possible because it, we just, we had to. But I think that was the mistake is I kind of underestimated where Tiger was at, like within his heart and his mind with how much his life had changed. And that was what we were seeing a lot of, in the, the technique. I mean, you're literally, you're talking about someone who went from pretty much being invisible to visible overnight, invincible to visible overnight. Yeah. And so to think that that was going to be fixed with a better takeaway and a different plane was probably a mistake, but you know what? I love the guy. I feel like I was there for him at a very difficult time. And I was so grateful for his professionalism and his friendship. And, and we still, you know what? I still hang out with every single guy that I don't work with. That's Why would that says a lot. That says a lot. And that being said, I'm about to go and see Hunter Mahan as we speak. Awesome. Well, hey, Foles, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time. And also, too, my friend. And I appreciate also just the person you are out there, always willing to look at a video, talk to people. And, you know, you, you've been great to me, and I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for sitting in. All right, Tony. Have a great day, bud.